The Flies by Pippi Berkey. The little side street known as St Edgar's Walk had had its ups and downs over the years, but was now firmly in the doldrums. Of the original 18 shop fronts, only six now remained open. The others converted into holiday lets or simply left empty. It deserved better. Could have provided an enticing little discovery for tourists visiting the seaside town. But the tourists never seemed to find it, or if they did... They preferred not to venture down it. Colin had opened his shop on St Edgar's Walk because he'd believed what he read in the local newspaper. The council leader, an ambitious career public servant called Simon Hall, had declared the area worthy of regeneration. Mark my words, he had told the newspaper. St Edgar's Walk will see revival in the coming years and people should hurry to take out a lease on a shop right now before the rents go up. Colin had hurried. He had snatched up a failed sandwich shop and set about transforming it into something far more agreeable and perhaps even less necessary, a bookshop. He was giving the town its first bookshop in 20 years and it felt that in doing so he was in the vanguard of the area's retail revival. As it happened, Councillor Simon Hall had been right about the rents going up but he'd been very wrong about the prospects for regeneration. No amount of alluring signage seemed to be able to drag potential customers away from the bright, pedestrianised high street. If Colin felt lonely back at his flat, it was at work that he was to learn the true meaning of isolation. The bookshop was a dark place, not only because very little sunlight reached it past the crowded rooftops, but also because of its owner's sombre taste in shop furnishings. Colin had a predilection for the Dickensian, for old curiosity shops, places of dust and destiny, where customers were expected to knuckle down and hunt out any gems for themselves. The shelves were tall, most of their contents out of reach, and books often remained in the boxes in which they had arrived, piled one on top of the other and getting under your feet. His counter was a huge old office desk with a green leather surface, its drawers crammed full of bills, slips and invoices. Often he placed book orders only to forget about them by the time they arrived and they would sit unopened on his desk or floor with no prospect of anyone ever buying them. Perhaps if he'd gone for something airier, something neat and charming with rows of clean new book spines on pristine shelves, then he might build up a loyal clientele. But he wouldn't have liked working in such a place. Would have felt a little exposed. 
Colin was no fan of customers and was as likely to sneer as he was to smile if anyone asked him for a certain title. His appearance wouldn't have endeared him anyway, though only in his thirties he had a decrepitude about him. His skin was sallow and his physique heavy and sagging. Assuming that the world despised him, he had got in first and despised it. A parcel arrived one day which, like many others, rang no bells for him. It was more of a thick envelope than a parcel, and it was not addressed to him by name, but to the proprietor. The envelope looked as though it had been through a lifetime of reusings. Colin took it to his desk and turned on the standard lamp. It was only two o'clock, but the February afternoon outside was as dimly lit as the interior of his bookshop. He pushed aside the local paper. Only moments ago he'd been reading about the council leader. Future bright for Simon Hall, was the excessive headline above a vaunting story on Hall's ambitions for Westminster. The bookshop owner and the council leader had been at school together, and even those days Hall had been the golden one. Colin, heading nowhere. The newspaper fell to the floor as Colin struggled with the envelope. It had been stuck down well and he needed to rummage through his drawers to locate a pair of scissors. He cut along the top edge and as the package opened he got the sense that it was emitting a filthy sigh. Oh, it's only dust, he told himself. What we have here is an antique, and with antiques, the dirtier the better. He put his nose to the cut end of the package and inhaled deeply. <sighs> feeling the ancient particles swim up his nostrils. Colin placed his fingers inside the slit, took hold of a thin and frail document and pulled it out of the envelope. There it lay on the green leather surface of his desk, and he had to twist down the standard lamp to make it out properly. It was nothing. Junk. An old periodical in tatters. He guessed at once from the typeface and quality of paper that it was at least a hundred years old. Even if his age had made it noteworthy, the state of it rendered it without value. It was a mess. The front page was so lacerated and worm-eaten that Colin couldn't even make out its title. Once upon a time there had been advertisements and announcements on its front page, but the ink had leached so catastrophically that the words were impossible to decipher. Another hunt around a drawer brought forth a pair of tweezers. With these, he took hold of the fragile front cover and gently lifted it in an attempt to turn the page. The cover didn't fall to pieces as he thought it might, but as it landed on his desk, the most extraordinary event occurred. A cloud of flies was instantly released from inside the document. Hundreds of tiny black motes took to the air in front of his astonished eyes. He stepped backward in horror, dropping the tweezers and placing his hands over his face. The flies swarmed around him and he felt several of them career against his knuckles as they buzzed about in a frenzy. At last, the whirring subsided. And when he removed his hands, they were gone. 
He'd never come across anything like it. They must have been living in the enclosed safety of this untouched paper for years, breeding in it and feeding off it, because there was a sizeable colony of them. And as he looked down at the tattered periodical, he noticed that there was next to nothing of it left. It was as though the words on the page had taken flight and left nothing substantial behind. He pushed the waste bin to the edge of his desk, and with his arm he swept the whole sorry lot into it. Colin rarely felt like going home. Often stayed behind after closing time, finding menial tasks to keep himself occupied late into the evening. On this night, agitated still after the incident of the flies, he put up the clothes sign and settled himself under the arc of the light spinning from the desk lamp and examined his sales ledger. Not a single soul attended his shop during the day. It was the first time that this had happened. And it made no sales on the internet. The bleakness of his situation filled him with a mixture of weariness and anger. The pain of failure was intense. He laid his head on his folded arms and fell asleep. He dreamt he was standing among a crowd of people listening to Simon Hall at the election hustings. Hall looked exactly as he had as a schoolboy, slim, neat and superior. His hair was combed over to one side and his glasses gleamed in the sunshine. His words were eliciting oohs and ahs from the appreciative crowd and at one point a beautiful young woman went up to him and delivered a kiss directly on his lips. Simon merely pushed her aside and continued with his promises. Employment, wealth, success. With the right attitude, he was telling them, there's nothing you can't achieve. But mark my words, always this marking of his words. Stay negative and nothing comes your way. You will stay a failure and you won't deserve success. Colin woke and jerked his head up and looked about him. With a sudden movement, a, a fly which had been clearly crawling in his scalp took to the air and disappeared. He swallowed and licked his lips and looked at his watch. Only 8.15. His sleeping hours were all upside down these days. Most people were finishing up their suppers right now. Yet, he would most likely stay awake until three in the morning. His head itched and he pressed the pad of a finger in the place where the fly had been exploring his head. When he inspected it, he saw black powder, gritty, like printer's ink. The anger and the despair came flooding back, and with it, irritation. These flies seemed to be everywhere now. Ugly, little, bad-tempered blots skittering around the shop shelves. Three landed in front of him on the desk top and loitered about before his eyes. They were tiny, but not so microscopic that he couldn't make out their silhouette in the lamplight. These creatures were not fly-shaped at all, but oddly angular and jagged, as though they were constructed out of badly sawn planks. Keeping his eyes on the bizarre trio, he reached down and opened a drawer, feeling about for his magnifying glass. 
gently, so as not to disturb his unpleasant visitors, he placed the glass to his eye and observed. Could it really be true? Was he really seeing what he thought he was seeing? Upon the back of each fly was what appeared to be a sign, standing upright, like an advertising hoarding, framed in black. The minute boards were crudely stuck onto the tiny bearers' backs. His eyes widening, his heart beating, Colin thought he could even make out markings on the signs. He shuddered as the flies crisscrossed the area of desk directly under his nose, but moved in closer to get an even better look. He squinted and peered and concentrated, and eventually he realised that each placard bore a word. He spoke them out loud. Winds. Hate. Beautiful. He then sat back and rubbed his eyes. He did this because he thought it might wake him from his dream. He was convinced it was a dream. The flies were gone, and with them the three words. Beautiful hate wins. Beautiful hate wins. It used to be Simon Hall's playground maxim. Hate was beautiful, he told the other boys, his adoring crowd. It was his fuel. One day, he told them, I'll need hate to spur me on. I'll look down on everyone from my height, and I'll stay there because I'll hold everyone else in contempt. Soon, thought Colin, soon Simon Hall would be at his height. Soon he would be elected, and then he'd be given a ministerial post, and then a department, and then... And in the meantime, Colin, his old friend, one of the adoring boys in the crowd, would be rotting in this scrap-heap town, a failure, a nobody. And yet he felt this hate too. He'd always felt it. But he'd never known until now that he could also use it to his advantage. He leapt with a sudden sensation that something was stalking around on his head. Then a sharp, stinging pain. His hand shot up to the spot, but whatever it was, was gone. Gone, Colin felt with the incipient sickness inside his skin. I can make use of hate, Colin thought lightly to himself as he opened a packet of biscuits and removed the ring pour from the can of beer. It can work for everyone, you know, Mr. Simon Hall, Mr. Perspective Parliamentary Candidate. He retrieved his phone from his pocket and made his way to his Twitter account. He'd opened an account under an alias some time ago in order to tweet imaginary customer recommendations to his shop. In fact, he'd never tweeted a single idea, finding himself too shy to throw his words into a waiting vacuum. Now... As he swigged from his beer, his fingers were dancing about the keypad. He was addressing himself to Councillor Hall, who, he noted, had a very active and lively account. Shame you hate everyone, he wrote. You treat people like scum. It was nearly ten o'clock, and as he played about on his phone, he felt another bite on his scalp. He slapped the area at once, but there was nothing there only the sensation of something burrowing into his skin. He shook his head. 
Hall wasn't rising to anything, it seemed. Colin slumped at his desk and closed his eyes and imagined his old school friend at home with his family, laughing off the rogue tweet from just another nutter. When he opened his eyes, he saw three flies scurrying about in front of his nose. He reached for the magnifying glass. Once again, the poor creatures were tottering about under the weight of their signboards. He scrutinised the letters. Eases, pain, hate. This was for him. It was the remedy. It was the weapon he was waiting for. Hate eases pain. At that moment, a message arrived on his phone. It was Hall replying to the tweet. Sorry, don't recognise your sentiment. I don't do hate. I do, muttered Colin as his fingers got to work. I do. Long, painful death too good for you, he wrote. As he sent the message, a fly landed on the back of his hand. He watched with mute astonishment as it burrowed into his skin and disappeared. Get a life. Leave me alone. Loser. Came back the response. Oh yes, that's how you work, fumed Colin. Undermining, always undermining. Everyone is a loser to you, but I won't fall for your methods. I know you of old. It's time everyone else knew what you were like. Hate eases pain. It certainly does. No one could hate as much as he did right now. A fly walked up his arm and routinely made its way into the skin of his bicep. Colin wrote, World needs to know you're a sham. You ruin lives. You're evil. And yet... It didn't feel anywhere near articulate enough or sufficiently threatening. Simon would be laughing this off. He'd be contemptuous. Other Twitter followers were entering the fray now, most of them registering their disapproval of this strange messenger. The more they cautioned him, the more his blood rose. When one individual pulled him up with the advice, come on, mate, lighten up, he found that he was incensed. The blood pulsed around his temples and his throat felt constricted. His heart seemed to be pushing out of his chest and his ribcage ached. So this was what visceral hate was like. It was like the breath of life. The flies swarmed around him and several attached themselves to his cheeks. One walked to and fro over his eyelid. He didn't even care to swat them away. He couldn't get to them fast enough anyway. By the time his palm came down hard on a fly, it had already made its subcutaneous journey with alarming speed and ease. No one was responding to him, and that only pushed him further. He couldn't get an image of Hall out of his head. He saw a teacher telling the class that young Hall was exemplary, that he had a vocation for doing good, that he would go far. And Hall, with a half-smile, smothered in modesty had leant across to his classmate Colin and whispered, I'll go a lot further than that, fat loser. Colin would not be the next fat loser in Hall's gallery. 
He watched three flies troop across his desk in a neat line and leant down with the magnifying glass to inspect their tiny advertisements. The words were in order this time. They bobbed across his vision and he read them out loud. Fear will win. Colin was in his stride now, but physically faltering too. As that eagerness to inflict pain cursed through him, so his breath struggled. Unfit, overweight, highly strung, the bookshop owner often had to hide his flighty emotion from his customers. This evening, alone in his closed shop, the dark, wintry street outside, as lonely as the outer reaches of the universe, he bounced between elation and stress. Those flies were driving him insane. If they weren't gathering in clumps around his face, then they were burrowing into exposed patches of his skin. And their number seemed to be growing and filling the shop. He had the impression that there was something whirring about in his head. He gave himself a shake and felt tiny lumps careering against the inside of his skull. The shock of the sensation made him cry out loud and claw at his face. But he wasn't going to let this moment pass. A million flies couldn't distract him now. Colin took up his phone and this time addressed himself directly to Hall with a one-to-one -one message. I'll kill you before the night is out. Councillor Colin Hall guessed who was sending the threats. He never forgot anyone and there was enough clues in Colin's vicious messages to give the sender away. Hall happened to be dining with the county's chief constable that night and the two men, incensed by what they read and a little emboldened by their champagne supper, decided to go and deal with Colin themselves. They visited his flat but finding it unoccupied took a chance on his shop. There was a dim light still on inside the premises and what seemed to be a very dense shifting fog obscured the shop window. The chief constable peered up and down the death-still street and wondered who would be fool enough to try and run a business on it. He moved closer to the shop window and tried to make out what was going on and thought he saw a figure drunkenly tottering about inside. There's someone there, he told Hall, gesturing for him to come and have a look. But Hall was so impatient wanted his in confrontation at once. He banged on the shop door. We know you're there, he called. Come out and explain yourself. There was no doubt that someone was inside the shop. They heard a crashing sound as furniture was knocked over and a muted, distracted sobbing. Hall thumped impatiently on the door and insisted that somebody open it. He's coming out exclaimed the chief constable and pulled Hall aside just as the shop door opened. What they saw was beyond their capacity to understand. It was shocking, outlandish. The bookshop owner, his face bloated, his skin grey and veined, staggered towards them, his body moving in shuddering jerks as though powered from inside by a dying motor. Only his eyes appeared to have any natural life left in them. For a moment, he looked at Simon Hall and reached out to him, his eyes pleading with his old school friend. 
Hall, repulsed, moved away, shaking his head. Colin's limp feet carried him another few stumbling steps, and then the light seemed to close off behind his eyes and was replaced by a swarming darkness. He collapsed where he stood, crumpled as though there was nothing to hold him up inside. And as he hit the ground, his entire body disintegrated into what seemed like. It couldn't be. A thick mass of flies. The two men were speechless with the horror of the transformation. The furious creatures pulsed around them in a frenzy, before swirling into the darkness of the street and disappearing out of sight. The chief constable tried and failed to find Colin, unable to grasp what he'd just witnessed. He looked up at last and saw Simon Hall examining intently the back of his right hand. You all right? he wanted to know. But Hall couldn't answer. Standing beneath a dim street light, he was staring dumbly at the spot on his hand where a moment ago a strange, jagged insect had arrived and instantly burrowed itself into his flesh. The Flies, produced by Tempest Productions. Written by Bibby Berkey. Read by Mark Lingwood. Music composed by Timothy Bond. Studio production, Francis Weber. <laughs>